Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Jess. This is Questions at Queen's Ferry, where me and Jess will answer questions and cover topics you and I want answered. Welcome back. This week we are joined by Lindsay and Ellis from Scottish Rugby. Um, so the first question we have to ask you guys is, when did you initially begin to play rugby and at what point in time did you progress into playing professionally? Um, so I started playing rugby when I was 11. Um, at high school I went to come and try session. Um, there wasn't very many girls there, it was mostly boys, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed like the contact element of it and you know being able to like use my body to be strong and powerful. Um, so that's what I got started with. Um, I played a lot of rugby when I was younger with boys there wasn't many girls teams around but when I was 17 I went and played for Stirling County so I started playing for a women's team then um, and then I've kind of progressed I've played most of my rugby in England at Worcester Warriors but now playing for Bristol Bears um, which has been brilliant so over the last 10 years loads and loads of rugby experience um, and I suppose kind of this playing professionally that has only been very recently you know in the last year when we've had um contracts leading into the world cup and then since then but i would say we've been playing elite rugby and being an athlete for the last 10 years yeah i'm a bit different so i started playing rugby quite late on so i was like 15 16 um, and i was in high school um, like in my last so I would have been what, like fifth sixth year in high school um, and I played for Hills which is in Glasgow Hillhead Jordan Hill um, and then when I went to uni in Edinburgh that's when I kind of started taking it a bit more seriously so um, at Edinburgh University they have like a performance program and like girls come and um, are able to train like elite athletes basically and they're sort of like student athletes so I did that for six years which is a long time to be in uni um, and then just this season, I've like moved down to Darlington to play um in the English leagues just because they're a little bit higher standard um but yeah I got I've have only actually been part of the squad for less than a year I got my first cap in August um so yeah it's all very new to me and we got the professional contracts in December um as Lindsay said so um yeah all very new um and quite a kind of fast progression route because it's you know a lot less time I've definitely not been playing elite sport for 10 years it's probably <laughs> been about two so yeah it's all pretty exciting and new yeah um obviously being a woman in sport and obviously growing up with that being like a male dominated sport um did you have anyone that you, growing up you modeled yourself after or even just felt inspired by even experience that you felt inspired by yeah I think for me one of like one of the strongest like female role models I had was Donna Kennedy. So she's our most capped Scottish player. Um, you know, played in the women's first international in 1993. I think she's cap number eight. So the eighth woman to get a cap. Um, and I was really fortunate that she was my under 20s coach. And um, she's also lived in Worcester. So I spent a lot of time with her. And um, like there was no, there wasn't any, there was barriers for her, but she broke them down like there was nothing that was going to stand in her way mm. um for her playing career like she was like no that's not an excuse we'll be getting on there wasn't anything that was too challenging or hard and I think even now she's a big part of the thistles so our ex-internationals um driving all of them to come together to help us and what they can do now um 
she was a little bit scary at times. Like, <laughs> yeah, dragon lady. Like her, her heart is definitely in the right place for for women's sports. So she was a, a big one for me. Yeah, that's cool. I think so, cause my background, like when I was like a bit younger, wasn't solely rugby. Obviously, I had role models in rugby, but I think so. I did horse riding, which I was a bit of a horse girl actually when I was younger, <laughs> um, which is funny thinking about it now. Um, but I think a lot of my role models were within that, and I actually. I know that that's probably less of a male-dominated environment, but I think the women who own horses and own farms and are like that, like they're just very strong women. They're not afraid to kind of get a bit mucky and kind of get their hands dirty and like, you know, they're dealing with like this 500 kilogram, like huge yeah. animal. So they're always going to be just like a little bit sassy and fierce and like things like that. So I think like that was a really big um, catalyst in me then becoming a little bit more like that and then when I started to play rugby I was coached by Jade Conkle and Megan Gaffney who are like really big names within Scottish rugby um and they like were just brilliant role models as you've said like they were just people that you were able to sort of copy and like become more like and and idolize and that was definitely what I then started doing so yeah I would say that's probably that's probably it for me yeah so um, you were talking about your role models having some challenges along the way and obviously your journey to get to where you are now when it would be exactly easy. Is there any like particular challenges you remember having to power through? Um, I think one for me was probably playing a lot of rugby when I was younger with boys mm-hmm. and the, the challenges that, that, face, that, that I face with that. So... Like, Aloha, where I started, they didn't have a women's team. They didn't have a women's changing room. Like, I just got changed in the bathroom. And that has, has since, like, developed. But And I didn't see it as a barrier at the time. I just thought, this is just what, what I do. But now, looking back, I'm hoping that me playing at that club has been, like, the catalyst for them to, like... They've got a women's team now. They've got separate yeah. changing rooms. There's, like, a place for women in that club environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of us who have played with boys will have had a lot of comments that like boys don't even necessarily understand what they're saying they're just doing Mm -hmm. it to like go along with their friends but saying oh like girls can't play rugby is like a very basic but obviously that extreme Mm -hmm. like there was a lot of range of comments Mm. um especially things like run at the girl yeah and then I would show them wrong yeah and then they wouldn't run at me again Mm -hmm. but that like empowered me it just made me want to show everyone wrong and I think that's where a lot of my like my why and my strengths and my beliefs come Mm -hmm. from is like that wanting to like show doubters that yep women can play rugby but then also inspire girls to like yep I can stand up for myself I can do it too um so that they have less barriers than, than what I've had yeah I yeah I agree with that I think like it's a shame that women have to prove themselves as above when boys do things like that, but that definitely happens. Like, you know, I said I started rugby, like, in high school, um, and it was, like, at a kind of critical age, I think, where, like, the girls are like, oh, you're going to play rugby. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'll just try it. And I think it's very different now in schools. Yeah. Like, I've heard a lot of, like, really good things, but, like, all the boys in my class would be like, oh, that's for men. Like, you're a man. Like, you're, like, yeah. you're, you know, like, what are you trying to do? And like, Nobody will want to be your yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. Want to, like, like, and that's, like, the worst thing. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to have a boyfriend. That was though. That <laughs> but, was huge. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a big deal. Um, yeah. But for me, that was obviously, yeah, that was still a barrier. It was a lot less of a barrier because I started later. I wasn't, like, when I went to my rugby club, like, I was in a girls team and mm-hmm. um had women coaches and stuff but um, mm-hmm. I think a ba- barrier for me would have been injury and um, 
I tore my ACL, just like a ligament in your knee in 2018, had to get like an operation. And I was out for two years, which was like, for me, the worst thing ever, like rugby yeah. my whole life. So I went to uni and did like sports science. So I was like learning about rugby in uni. All my friends were rugby friends, like all our entertainment. We were like, oh, we'll watch the rugby. So yeah. for me, that was really, really hard because it was like a big part of my life was sort of missing. But um, yeah, again, like same as you, Lindsay, like it just makes you stronger and like makes you want to try harder and all that sort of stuff so yeah I would say that that's probably what my biggest like barrier to that was yeah yeah I mean to add on to that um this episode is actually based on careers in sports um so people who are in school doing rugby right now um might want to know you know what was the highlight either as a team or like individually of your career oh um (laughs) So I think I'll start with like a really quick individual one, probably getting my first cap, yeah. um, which was 10 years ago yesterday, which makes Aww. me feel uh, a bit old. I've <laughs> uh, international rugby for a long time, but that was definitely like, it felt like I'd got to the end of a journey and was like starting a new one. Um, so that was really exciting for me. Um, I think as a Scotland team, one of like one of my highlights would be that qualifying for the World Cup. Um, so we played a game in Dubai, Scotland mm-hmm. hadn't, we hadn't been to a World Cup in 12 years, so that was like a massive high for, for all of us. And obviously the World Cup itself was unbelievable, but I think that qualification process and winning that game and knowing that we were going to be on the flight to New Zealand, that was like one of the most like exhilarating, like it, I couldn't put it into words how relieved we were. <laughs> yeah. Thank um, God. Like that. Yeah, yeah. That mine. that's fair. I think, so for me, I have like two careers in rugby and um, so I coach um, and like big big thing for me and being an athlete in rugby is also kind of putting that back to something else so if you're coaching or volunteering or doing something else so yeah coaching for me a big highlight would be like seeing people improve and um, seeing your athletes like take in what you said and then use it on a pitch I think is like constant it's a constant highlight of doing that um but playing I would say it's definitely my first cap as well as Lindsay like mine was only like it wasn't even a year ago so it was in um August 2022 against USA and I was called up on the day of the game because there was illness in the team which was like crazy I remember like you know I was there with my partner and I was just like oh my god I don't know any of the calls I don't know what's going on like what if I don't know ah it was you, so just, scary. you just came on and ran riot and ran <laughs> yeah. hard and yeah like didn't knock on the ball you just ran it was fine yeah it's and it, yeah it's just another game of rugby yeah. isn't it? but like for me that was like the same as what you said it was like definitely it felt like the end of a journey because obviously I spoke about the like injury before and like yeah. it was like a, it felt like such a long time to get back and then when we did then when I did then get kind of that call on at 10am from the manager like so you're gonna come in you're probably gonna get on I was like this is the end of this journey and it's the start of a new one and we're now in that new era and yeah I'm really excited um to be there and it's just so exciting yeah so I'd say that was my highlight so do you have any advice for any young people who are interested in pursuing a career in rugby where to start or just any tips um I think a really good thing is to keep a really broad open mind and there's not you don't just need to be a player to have a job in sport like there's so many more visible jobs to us now so uh, presenters people on media um doing social medias and stuff like and across multiple sports so like football's been a really good example of having like female pundits and commentators and we're seeing more and more of that in rugby so the kind of the commentating and the in the punditry but then also a lot of like behind the scenes jobs as well so 
like our athlete advisors and um, people working in marketing and within like developing programs so it's not just about like the athletes there's so much else that that goes on behind it um I think just trying to speak to people that you know in sport um is really important and making contacts and putting yourself out there um and saying yes to every opportunity I think yeah like a good way because you don't know what will lead to something else yeah if that makes sense so like my playing rugby for like Scotland under 20s helped me with get our placement for my degree so I've done sports therapy um, and I approached the physio at Edinburgh Rugby to try and get placement with them and they said like yes on the fact that I had this rugby knowledge and it's not like I knew them but I'd done this experience and that helped me with getting a foot in the door there. Yeah I would say similar like saying yes opportunities is a really big one I think a lot of the time um when you're busy and you're trying to do a lot of things it's it's difficult because you want to prioritize and that's obviously extremely important but at the same time if you're passionate about something and you know that that is something that you might be passionate about saying yes is is just it's so valuable um especially if you're presented you're not going to be presented with an opportunity every day um and also just like not not letting a setback tell you no mm-hmm. as well so you know a lot of people in our squad have been dropped from a squad in the past or you know m- myself like I got dropped from from multiple squads and like not selected for multiple teams and sometimes like I said in the summer like I'm my own biggest fan like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if no one thinks that you're gonna make it if you are your own biggest fan you will make it and like you know I, I still think that was the the ticket for me for like going to the world cup and you know getting selected for a contract is like if you have belief in yourself, you can make a lot of things happen. And it sounds really cheesy. I think a lot of people say it, but like that was a massive turning point for me in my career was stopping being self like depreciating and just being like, do you know what? I am going to be good at this. You've got to believe in yourself before anyone else believes in yeah, you, haven't you? Literally. What's what RuPaul like, says? Yeah. Is that what RuPaul, RuPaul says? RuPaul says, <laughs> what is it he says? Can't. If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? There, there is, <laughs> yes. And it's the same with belief. If you don't believe in yourself, how is anyone else going to believe in yeah. what you're trying to do? Because, yeah, you're not going to listen to someone who doesn't actually believe what they're saying. So, yeah, yeah that's what I'd say. Yeah. Well, um, thank you. Uh, I know a lot of my friends will be, like, majorly jealous that, like, me just <laughs> <laughs> I was meeting with you. Um, so, yeah, thank you for talking with us and being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you. you. Um, our next guest is Kamal, who's here to um, discuss a different career in sports. So I think it's probably best if you kind of describe to us your role and what you do in your career. Yeah. Um, so I currently work for Scottish Rugby. I'm the accreditation manager. And best way to describe accreditation is you either get into a venue either with a ticket or an accreditation. So anyone that's working, um, any athletes any contractors so when I say contractors like your broadcast like BBC for example or your hospitality host or anybody who needs to work will have to have an accreditation um so yeah so then on the accreditation it's uh, we dictate the areas that they're allowed to go into um so it's not free for all um and those areas are controlled by Scottish rugby but also when I've worked at previous roles as well and accreditation is dictated by the organising committee, whoever that may be. So, yeah, it's, it is a niche job to do within the industry and not many people, even in the industry, fully understand it. There is a very small 
team of us that work collaboratively worldwide on different events. Um, so, yeah, it's all very systems-based, it's all very tech, it's all very process-driven, but it, in essence, is to make the venue secure. And when we have somebody with accreditation, we scan it, and um, that is then recorded onto a central database. Accreditation has become more of a front, like, given more uh, light given to it, um, unfortunately, due to the Ariana Grande incident. Um, now there's different laws that are coming out and one being a quite predominant one, which is called the Martin's Law, um, where anyone coming onto venue needs to be recorded wherever it is. And we have accreditation, you have accreditation in your school, you know, through the badge system. Um, so yeah, sorry, I think I spoke about too much about that. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, so since it is quite a niche job, can you explain a bit how you got into it? Was there like a pathway or did it kind of happen just... Yeah. sports so um my first role within industry was um i was a volunteer manager at cricket world cup so i was 21 when i first got that job um and yeah like that was quite different to what i'm doing right now but um a lot of my job then as well was working with the venues um and it was very much like the venue management side of things and like how we can provide a safe environment for the volunteers to work in. But because it's a major sporting event, like we rely so much on like them as a team. Um, then after the World Cup had finished, I took some time out and obviously COVID hit. So obviously it wasn't great for the industry and as a whole. I then got offered a job to work back with England cricket and predominantly got offered the job because of my venue relationships already. Mm-hmm. Um and actually, a lot of my volunteer management skills came into play with how, like how to deal with stewards um, and almost like yeah. <laughs> having that, you know, not like dumbing it down or anything like that. that sounds awful, but, you know, really simplifying the process for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I went into, so that was a six month contract. So when I was at England Cricket, it was a match every single day for four months and it was across yeah. England and Wales yeah um so yeah that was it's quite intense but yeah and then after my contract ended with them I then went straight into Commonwealth Games and became a client manager um so I had 110 clients looking looked after 110 clients simultaneously to make sure that they were accredited um with the Com Games you do have to have everyone has to go through a security risk assessment um anyone up from you know the prime minister whoever the prime minister was at the time to um the cleaner everyone had to go through this process so that was very intensive trying to collect this data get it all through the checks get apply the zones as well as having 110 clients to do that (laughs) with um so with that threw on a lot of challenges in terms of this was the first ever major sporting event out of COVID. So, yeah, so it was very difficult to try and get those, like, stakeholder relationships going. You try and have an in-person meeting, but they're very much still in their COVID time thinking. So, yeah, um, and, and with a Com Games or an Olympics, you have typically one village. Um, so a village is where all the athletes stay together. Um, with... Birmingham we had the added challenge of having five villages and they all fell under me as well so and additional venues so yeah it was it was tough and the industry as a whole is suffering 
from COVID. Uh, and then swiftly after, I became the accreditation manager at Scottish Rugby, and I've not been here very long. Um, but three weeks, uh, as soon as I joined, three weeks to go, we had our first autumn test. So it was almost building a whole new accreditation department, working with a system provider, and then going straight into the big internationals, and one being, you know, New Zealand being one of the matches as well. So, yeah, yeah it's... Um, it's good. It's it's going really well. Um, just a lot of processes that we're having to like develop. Yeah, I mean, despite obviously all the challenges that like it seems pretty stressful, like head on. <laughs> but um, would you say you had kind of like a highlight or just like a, a job that you went into that you know? Yeah, I think my first job in career was cricket World Cup, and I think those people who had worked different types of games or whatever they'd done, and they'd then worked at Cricket World Cup they knew this was a good gig. Like, everyone was really looked after. It, yes, it was intense. Yes, I was on the road for, like, four months. On my first four months, I was on the road, had a bit of a break, and then was back on the road for six months. But we were really looked after, and it was a whole, like, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was a real family dynamic. Um, so, yeah, and delivering something called the Trophy Tour as well. Just hundred days to go, um, and yeah, bringing that cricket into local communities and different cities. So, yeah, like people didn't know cricket World Cup was happening, but we made sure people then knew. Yeah. yeah. So that was really exciting. Yeah, it sounds um really cool. Your job and getting to go to different places and work as a team, um. I don't know if it's the same with your sector, because um, a lot of the sports industry is male-dominated. Do you say it affects these like jobs that are more behind the scenes, or do you think it's got more females involved in this sort of sector? I find it, I don't know how to put it in, in words, but I find it quite disappointing that people think it is such a male-dominated uh, mm. industry, and that's not a blame on anybody because me coming in from an outside of view as well like when I was your age I would think exactly the same and unfortunately that still is the view yeah but when you're within the industry like cricket world cup had 50 50 ratio of female male uh commonwealth games um the I think our division in itself had want to say like 65 percent ratio of females and the push was always there to have more females so the NEC I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with that but the NEC has was one of the venues that had multi-sports going on and in different exhibition halls that NEC internal venue group was had about 100 plus people in it a good 90 percent of them were female yeah so that was like you know it is it's, it's amazing to be part of it and even at Scottish Rugby, you know, it is very female-driven. And that's kind of like the message I do want to put out. Like, I know it might seem, oh, but it's a boys' sport or it's a... Whatever it is. And people typically think of cricket as being, you know, that, that you know, upper-class sport. But actually, it's really not. Yeah. It's, it's a sport for all. And I know I talk about cricket quite a bit, but we go into rugby and people obviously have the same conceptions as well. Mm-hmm. Um unfortunately within the industry there is still more that can be done and where you have those board level jobs and like we're still at a stage where it is like male dominated 
until we get more females involved, that's where we're kind of there's more representation, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I just think it, it's definitely happening in terms of like the Premier League that they've got, you know, they're, and the part of their boards, they've got female um, presence in terms of UK sport. Okay, it's, it's happening. We're in a very good stage in our like generation that we're, we're seeing it, we're opening our eyes. And also for me, I think it's important to have younger females, people of different colours, people of different sexualities, be representative in, in these boards. Sporting, sporting bodies can say, you know, can support LGBT or can support the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. Until there's representation in those boards, that is when we know the real like, change will happen. Yeah. That is when people will be able to relate to it more. So not just the girls, also to all pupils out here. Mm. Get get involved in your local sporting bodies. Get involved in like start thinking about what you want to do in your spare time. I got into this industry by volunteering, and that's how I've got so far. Um, and that is it. Like that's where my career flew. Um, but even previous to this, when I was your age, I was volunteering in my own school with like helping run events and everything like that. So, like it might not seem like it's substantial at this time. But trust me, when you then go on to your next things, wh- whatever your next ventures are, you can say, you can pull back on the experience that you've had from these volunteering opportunities that you've had. And it not only makes you stand out from the rest of the crowd, but you also know you've got confidence in your own self yeah. as well. Yeah. So. yeah. I think I think now, I think, I mean, me and Jess are doing this podcast, and even though maybe it might not link to any sort of careers it like it, it's really good and it's um helping us out a lot in learning about like, speaking to people and mm-hmm. and it's you know helping us out a lot so I think now especially my age group you know doing exams and getting into that um kind of realm I think you just need to do stuff yes yeah. get your name out there you need to do stuff and I think also kind of um looking back to because it's about careers in sports but predominantly um I guess representation I think we just need to keep celebrating what's happening and um promoting equality promoting equal representation Mm -hmm. and celebrating it when it does happen yeah um because I think quite often as you were saying it is sometimes unfortunate that sometimes things are seen as male-dominated and then it's like frowned upon because it's not always, and it sometimes almost puts it in this negative light mm-hmm. that people just don't think they can get into it because they're like, oh, well, it's, yeah. it's not for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be difficult. So. Yeah. I think a major, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this terminology, um, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. where yeah. um, you know what your strengths are, but you've got a chip on your shoulder that's telling you, no, that's not you. And, and this is why... People of your age, my age, I get it all the time. Miss <laughs> Cowie will tell you how much I talk about my imposter syndrome. Um, where you think, no, that can't be me. Yeah. So it's like, I'm sat on this side of the table, and it's like, no, I can't reach the level she's done at 27. Nah, that is not, that is not yeah. the case at all. Yeah. Like, because I've got people who are probably of the same age as me who are like, achieved way more than I have but that's not me comparing myself it's you know it's it's trying to fight that demon within and being like no do you know what I've got confidence in myself 
and whether it's at school, whether it's with your exams, like you might think, oh, do you know what? I know all of this. I know it all. You do really well in your exams. Yeah. But I hope you both don't experience this, but there may be some people out there who might think, I've got this grade, but I don't feel like it's me that's got that grade. Yeah. I I know what you mean. Like, or whether you do really well in, like, a sport and activity, you think, oh, I've just been praised by, you know, Miss Wilkinson or... Uh, Miss Cowie, and I think, no, like, no, it must have been that someone else must be having an off day. Yeah. Yeah, like, whatever that may be. Yeah. It's okay to feel like that and to have an imposter syndrome. Someone very wise told me this yesterday that if you didn't have imposter syndrome, you wouldn't be able to challenge yourself because your biggest competition is yourself. Yeah. If you didn't have imposter syndrome, you would always just think you're the best. Yeah, and it creates arrogance, it creates egos, um, and also isn't very good on other people's mental health around you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I like that. That was yeah. No, I I think it's a lot of it, and especially in sport, I think a lot of it is just knowing you are enough. Yeah, and it's and it's about you, especially with sport and um, in all realms, it's just about you and doing what's good for you and not comparing yourself yeah just work for yourself yeah improve for yourself don't improve because your friend is better than you absolutely yeah just go for what you want to do yeah so focus on your that. own goals and not a goal to beat someone else yeah because you'll never feel as good as you should like you'll always feel better meeting your own goal than just like oh i've bet them now who else can i be better yeah. than <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and you know there's uh oh, i remember dina asher smith uh, I might be wrong in my <laughs> I think it was Dina Asher-Smith during the Commonwealth Games didn't perform on one of the races to what her normal standards or PBs are mm-hmm. and she put it down to actually do you know what I was feeling rubbish that day it is what it is like yeah. I know I'm the yeah. best <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't today that's fine yeah. yeah but we don't know how much she's had to go through to actually accept that mm-hmm. that is her that is today is not me Today, it's someone else's day. Mm. I remember when I was in primary school, and I was thinking about this in my car journey over here, actually, that I was actually a really good runner. And, like, I used to do cross-country and everything like that. But I think I developed an imposter syndrome from that early age, where I always thought I was the slowest, I thought I was my Mm. asthma, and I don't even know why. I used to think, I don't even enjoy running. But I did, obviously, because for me to do it as an extracurriculum... I remember one day, it was just me and, like, I think I might have been the only girl. And we were running around the laps, and I, and I somehow, miraculously, became, like, was first. And then the, the, the teacher said, you know, well done, the coach was really impressed and everything like that. And I said, no, 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 like, they must have, like, in my mind, and I knew it from then, and I was thinking about that, I don't know, how, like, 15, 15 16 years later... In my head, I'm still like, no, they must have been having an off day. Did I even do, like, it was four laps. Did I do three in that? And like, actually, I was the slowest. <laughs> even though I know that wasn't the case. Yeah. Like, facts, you still don't see the facts that yeah. were there. And now if I think back to it, like, back to when I was in year six and I did that, actually, if that little chimp on my shoulder didn't tell me that, I probably would have progressed more. When yeah. But mm. obviously, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with. I'm fine with. But... I haven't, and that's a small little. That's a small little thing that you know that can appear and you know and crop up. And yeah, 
I'm like the worst in trying to give advice because I know I don't ever follow my own advice. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely fine to have imposter syndrome. I read something before you girls had come into the into the room that there's more failures and unsuccessfulness or not not many bright ideas coming out of, out of the creative creative industry is because those people don't have belief in themselves. So yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Um, a lot of good messages um, that <laughs> yeah. you've given. Honestly, I think I'll take some advice myself <laughs> because I think I need it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will find this really helpful. So thank you very much for being on our podcast today. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs>